hello, everyone. Welcome to Imperfect Action with Brock Edwards. And today, my guest is Jennifer McClure. Super excited to have her on. I have been, uh, I've seen her as a as a speaker uh, many times, going going back probably half a decade or so. And we've had a chance to talk different times at, at different conferences, and just kind of consummate professional and one of my favorite speakers. And uh, she will have a lot of great information to share with us. And so. Uh, Let's just jump right in. Jennifer, can you tell us just a little bit about you? Who are you and, and what motivates you? Sure. Wow. Those are a couple of questions we could talk all day about, but no, nobody wants that version. So <laughs> the shorter version is uh, a career HR recruiting talent professional for about 20 years in the corporate world, then a little stint in executive search. Uh, and then I started my own business in 2010, where I'm primarily a speaker out there talking to people about high impact leadership and talent strategies. So, you know, kind of leveraging my background in those spaces to get out there. And, and I love to teach. I love to uh, interact with people and learn from them as well. And I really enjoy kind of traveling around and and hearing from people all over the world about what's going on, not just in the leadership and talent space, but in general. And I have the opportunity as part of that. I guess what motivates me is, again, connecting with people around the world. Um, but also I have the opportunity to learn at a lot of the events that I'm a part of. Um, and that's really I think a great way to uh, continue to grow your career and your life is to that lifelong learning opportunity. Yeah, that's such a a great approach to it. Just you know, not not showing up being the expert, but showing up and and figuring out what you can learn from things uh, going around. And well, so let me ask then, what are some of the key learnings you've had recently then in your travels? Oh, in my travels. Um, well, that's an angle that I haven't thought about before. So in terms of, <laughs> I guess, you know, whether it's my travels or just what's what's going on with me lately in the conversations that I have with people, I continue to be amused and intrigued by so many people that I talk to who's, you know, when we're talking about whether it's Disrupt HR, which is something that, um, you know, I'm a part of. Or it's, you know, talking to people at conferences and events. I always try to, you know, if I'm like just yesterday or a couple of days ago, I was speaking at a conference in Iowa and sitting at the people with the table before I go on stage. And I'm like, you know, what do you, what have you learned or what are you here to learn? And trying to really kind of get in on that. And, and the conversations always seem to be um, that people feel like wherever they are, whether it's a country or a city or an industry or a company or their particular job, that they are behind everyone else. And I find that so interesting because if we're all behind, then we must all be in the right place, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but that perception that, oh, my company is so far behind and I'm here to learn the latest this, or I really feel like I'm behind my peers and we're here to learn the latest this, or if like said, so talking to people about organizing Disrupt HR events, oh, here in Belarus, we are so far behind the rest of the world. And I'm like, well, I just talked to somebody in Chicago yesterday and they said they were behind. So I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Well, it's true. I, th I think, you know, we, we all do feel behind. I mean, I check my Instagram feed, my, my Facebook feed, and it's clear that I'm running well behind everyone else on the planet. Um, but, um, and I'm, you know, kidding there a bit because we do just see kind of the, the, the best that other people put forward and we don't see what they're going through to get there, um, assuming that what they're putting forward is accurate. Now, you, you started Disrupt HR, and, and so can you for those who don't know what that is, can, can you say just a little bit about it? And then 
Uh, what inspired you to start that? That seems like kind of a big undertaking. Sure. Well, I, I can't take all the credit for it. I can take credit. I always say I, I am a person who has lots of ideas. So I'm like, we should do that. We should do this. This would be great. You know, and, and I don't know what you call that on Myers-Briggs or something else, but I'll throw a lot of ideas at the wall and I don't catch a lot of them or let them stick or even sit with them very often. And, and so that happened back in 2013 where I was having uh, lunch with a friend of mine that I had met. He was a first startup guy. Um, and so we got together a couple times a year just to kind of, he was had a company that he had started in the HR technology space. And so he just wanted somebody to bounce ideas off of and to kind of hear what was going on in the industry. And so we were chatting about that. And he said, you know, what's new and next for you? What are you thinking about? And I said, you know, I, I speak at all of these conferences, events, corporate events. Um, and, you know, again, they're wonderful and I enjoy the learning opportunity, but I see a lot of the same topics. I see a lot of the same speakers, which as long as that's me, that's okay. Um, you know, but um, I just feel like there's really an opportunity to do something different, to have an event that's different. Maybe we get to hear different voices and different takes and new ideas. And I'd love to eventually hold something like that here in Cincinnati where we are. And so being the kind of guy, which is why I like to, to hang out with him, um, he doesn't let ideas stick. He's like, we can do that and we can make millions of dollars. And I'm like, whoa, I love that idea. <laughs> I like the second part, the millions of dollars part, uh, because everything for him is a million dollar idea. So his name is Chris Ostich, um, O-S-T-O-I-C-H. Um, and so we left that and I was kind of like, wow, that's always energizing to talk to Chris. He makes me feel like I'm brilliant and that my ideas are, you know, all million dollar ideas. And so he, the thing about him though is he left that meeting and he didn't um, just let it be an idea. He was the community organizer at the time for Ignite events, which if you're familiar with Ignite.io, I believe it is, Ignite Talks, are events held around the world with five-minute talks with 20 slides that automatically advance every 15 seconds. And they tend to be kind of like the hipster version of the TED events, I guess. You know, it's more community-driven, more um, you know, kind of people talking about social issues, et cetera. And so he put together kind of two and two and said, why don't we use that Ignite format, do something in Cincinnati, invite, you know, people who don't typically speak on, um, you know, HR or ta recruiting conference stages and have them talk about the workplace and the future of work and talent and and share some new and disruptive ideas. So, so he gets credit for being the founder because he took that idea and made it into a thing. Uh, we held our first event in December 2013 in Cincinnati. Didn't think it would be you know, anything other than something we did here. But a friend of mine, Mary Faulkner from Denver, Colorado, um, she was speaking in Indianapolis the next day. And I said, well, you're like 90 miles away. That's practically next door. You have to drive over to this Disrupt HR event. <laughs> and she did. Um, and she said, wow, I'd like to do this in Denver. And so Chris and his team helped her do it in Denver. And then I think we put the videos online and a friend of mine from Toronto said, hey, we'd like to do this in Toronto. And so it just one by one kind of started spreading around. And in 2015, I think we had 15 or 16 cities around the world. And we said, wow, we should probably make this a thing. It seems like people want to do this. Um, so we built out the website, formed a partnership and here we are almost five years later, and we have yet to make millions of dollars. <laughs> it's more of the, the labor of love. That's not Chris's fault. I think it's more my fault. Um, but really, I see it more as a movement. And so I'm the cheerleader of a movement, which now we have 122 licensed cities in 28 countries. And that 
goes up every month. Um, and I love seeing we have over 2,800 of the five-minute talks out there, the videos online. And part of what's cool for me about Disrupt HR is not that every talk is a great speaker or not that every talk is a super innovative or disruptive idea. I do love that we get people up on stages all over the world who either are freaking out and nervous about getting up there because they've never done it, never thought they would give a talk before, or people who've been dying to share their idea but can't get an invite to get on a conference stage. Uh, and I love the fact that we're getting a lot of those voices out there. And And frankly, we are you know, of the 2,800 talks, I'd say 200 of them are really innovative new ideas. And you might say, well, that's not very many. That's a lot more than we're out there before we started. As, you know, that that's so true. Um, you know, a couple of thoughts come to mind about it. One is that you just got started with it. You know, you didn't start off saying, hey, we're going to do this in 120 cities. Um, you know, it's going to be a worldwide movement. It was just like, well, that sounds like a good idea. And kind of saw where it went. You know, I think a lot of times people, um, myself as a prime example, can get bogged down having to, you know, trying to imagine this huge end in mind. And, you know, that that's where I'm going. And there's a lot of power just in, you know, getting started, seeing if it works, seeing where it goes. Maybe it dies, maybe it spins into something else, or, or maybe it catches on. Um, I want to ask about the people that that speak, though, because um, that seems like a really cool thing. You know, people who aren't normally conference speakers able to get up there. Um, you know, I, I will say, you know, I've I've keynoted in front of hundreds of people, and I've done an ignite, and the ignite was way more <laughs> intense hard, for me, isn't it? I'm I did my first one, and I was like, oh wow, I have to actually practice this and make sure the timing is right. <laughs> yeah, when you've got you know forty five minutes, hour, hour and fifteen to play with. You've got room <laughs> at, at five minutes with the slides auto advancing. You, there's not a lot of room. Um, I guess particularly, I, and I put a lot of pressure on myself coming in. You know, hey, I'm a speaker. I could do this. And uh, but uh, what what kind of person typically says, you know, hey, I, I want to get up in front of people for five minutes. Yeah, I see a lot of a lot of different things just because I watch all the the tweets from events around the world or social media posts. So you know, I, and I've talked to quite a few people, and I've been to, you know, a dozen or so Disrupt HR events. That's the only downside is that I don't get to go to all the events all over the world. <laughs> I would love to go to Disrupt HR Bali, um, which is not a thing yet, but if it is, then I want to be there. Um, I think, you know, I see certainly and more and more we're seeing people who uh, are applying to speak at events all over because they have an, a book or they have a company. And, and we have only two rules with Disrupt HR. One is that the talks must all follow the five minute, 20 slide, 15 second format. And the other is there can be absolutely no pitching or selling in a talk. And we really depend on the organizers to make sure that that happens. So um, we do love vendors, coaches, consultants, et cetera, as long as they talk about an idea. But yet they're smart enough to know. And the same thing on conference stages, vendors and consultants and, uh, you know, myself included founders, we know Um that getting on that stage helps to build our brand and potentially, you know, wants people to connect with us, et cetera. So um, that's why you see a lot of those people on conference stages, because even if they never thought themselves a speaker, they know that getting up there gets exposure for their company and their brand and potentially more business. So we certainly have those. Um, 
But we also have people who are practitioners, not just HR recruiting practitioners, but marketing practitioners, IT professionals, you know, uh, community development professionals. People are getting up there and I think sharing ideas in a different way that, again, because they're not ultimately pitching or selling something. They've just had something they wanted to say. Um, and a lot of them, again, from watching just the tweets and stuff, it's what I love. You know, you'll see where somebody's like, I'm so nervous. I've never done this. And I, you know, I'm giving a talk tomorrow. And and then other people maybe that are following the hashtag will pitch in and say, hey, we're here for you. We got you back. Can't wait to hear your idea. And then to see the afterwards where they're like, you did great. And some of those, you know, then I've watched the videos of their talks later and I'm like, yeah, they weren't a polished speaker. You could tell they were so nervous. And some of them even go up with note cards, et cetera, which is really hard to do in a 15 second slide. But um, th the idea itself was worthy of being shared. Um, and for some of those people, they've they've gotten opportunities because of that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I was used from our first event, the very first one, again, Chris was very connected with kind of the, you know, the, the urban hipsters, I guess, that are downtown Cincinnati, the startup community, um, you know, the kind of people that are really involved in changing our city. So we had some of those people that were talking at our events in addition to myself and others. But one of our speakers was a, a Vietnamese restaurant owner. He owns three restaurants here in the Cincinnati area. And he talked about how Asians are the forgotten minority in the city of Cincinnati. And I was like, you know, that all the Chamber of Commerce events, that all of the community events are targeted to the African-American community or the Hispanic community, but yet there's a, a strong population of Asians. And again, this may have changed in the last five years. That talk was five years ago. But that's, a, that's something that, that to me is exactly what Disrupt HR is about. It piqued my interest or it made me think about something. You know, he didn't have an hour and 15 minutes to, you know, expand and show charts and graphs and data and research. But here's a person who's saying, I'm a part of this community and I'm a business owner in this community and I am of this, you know, culture and we are not getting attention. And I'm like, that is why we created Disrupt HR, to get that message heard. Oh, that's so powerful. Um, and, I, and I, you know, really appreciate that, that he stepped up to do that. Um, you know, it's, it's so easy not to, it's so easy not to, to challenge yourself that way. I always think of, you know, public speaking as kind of that one career skill that goes across all careers that, um, is probably one of the most important to learn other than your basic technical skills needed in your sure. own career. But it's so intimidating for people. And again, you know, you do this for a living, you speak and train and teach and, and I do it for a living. And I'm blessed that I just have never had a stage fright or a nervousness about that. And I don't know why that is, but thank, thank God for that gift. Um, but again, I also see a lot of people who maybe they, you know, they might share on social media or friends of mine who will send me a message and say, I'm going to challenge myself. So in other words, this doesn't come natural for me. I'm very nervous about it, but I feel like this is something that I need to do and Disrupt HR would be a safe place for me to do that. And it only lasts five minutes. But then some of those people after that first five minute talk eventually pitch to speak at a conference or an industry event or at their association meeting. And so it starts something or gives them confidence or at least is a part of the journey of taking action. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, what, one of my, my own team members this, this year was challenging herself with, with public speaking and we, we got her 
doing a, an event very similar to an Ignite session or the Disrupt HR, kind of the same format. And uh, she agreed to it uh, I, without knowing that it might be a little bit intense. <laughs> um, and she, you know, she knocked it out of the park. I mean, she did a fabulous job. She had a great idea to present. Um, she was uh, actually seemed more polished and calm on the outside than, than many of the other speakers there. And it, it was just so cool to see her kind of shine and blossom to, to be able to have that moment without having to think about, you know, how do I write an hour long presentation? I, I can do five minutes. I, you know, so she just did it and, and jumped out there. Um, and it's funny, you know, I, and I get amazing. asked so I, as a full time speaker a lot of times, you know, well, how do you craft a great talk? Um, and, and I think I'm learning and have seen because I have been doing this full time for eight years, but certainly speaking before that disrupt HR has been around for five years and I've given many of those talks. The way you approach it is really the same. You need to know what the central idea is. What do you want the audience to take action on, to be moved about, to, you know, have their hearts touched about. And then it really is an opening, a closing, and maybe depending on your time, one to three points in the middle. And again, depending on your time, anecdotes or stories to expand on that. So a Disrupt HR talk, I think, or a five-minute talk or Pechacuca or however you say that, TED, it's eight minutes, I think, if you're on the TEDx stage. Um those shorter talks, I think, are actually great preparation for helping you to develop a longer talk because the the way you approach it is the same. And it's really about clarity and brevity. And, and I think for a lot of people, myself included, when I started speaking, it's like, wow, I got an hour and a half to get up there and talk. I'm going to share my life story. <laughs> and and. I, I don't know. I just yesterday was thinking about it. One conference stage, usually, and especially at HR conferences, the keynotes are hour 15, maybe an hour, sometimes 50 minutes, sometimes 45, but hour 15 is probably standard. And that in and of itself is still a long time. Um, but one, I was, it, it popped in my mind yesterday because it still pains me. They gave me an hour and a half. And before I go on stage, you know, I talk to the organizers and I'm like, so I need to be done by this time. What's because it's cardinal sin to go over. So I take a, an iPad with a clock app up on the stage with me and I won't, I will hit that end time no matter what, or at least that's the goal. Uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you go, you go hour and a half. Totally. And so I filled, I ended at exactly the hour and a half mark and filled the time. And then got comments back and there were certainly plenty of positive comments, but there were a couple that, you know, it just sucked forever. <laughs> and now I'm here, I'm, you know, hopefully much more experienced and, and maybe a little wiser um, thinking, why did I think I needed to fill the time rather than thinking, what are my points and making sure that I make them in the most concise and informative way possible. I mean, that that talk is easily an hour long talk, but I expanded it to an hour and a half because they told me I had an hour and a half. And that's, mm. that's not necessary. And in today's world, especially um, shorter is better. Yeah, very, very rarely do people complain about things being a little bit shorter. Yeah, I've never had that on an evaluation form. You know, she finished way too soon. <laughs> right. I could have listened forever. <laughs> no, no, you couldn't. <laughs> well, speaking of evaluation forms, you know, one thing as a speaker is that you've got to get good at receiving feedback. You know, and we've a lot, a lot of people listening to this, you know, they've got ideas, there's things they want to try, whether they're expanding their current job, starting 
trying to start a new career, rebrand, redefine themselves, start a side hustle, you know, whatever it is, um, they're wanting to do more and they're going to need to receive feedback. They probably are receiving feedback and that's not always the easiest thing to do. And I know as a speaker that um, since the feedback is largely anonymous, it comes in all kinds of varieties. How do you advise someone deal with the feedback? How, how can they best use it to their advantage and not let it, it bog them you know, down? I think feedback in general, especially online feedback, whether it's on a, you know, a review website or anonymous forms that people fill out, whether electronically or in paper. Um, and I, I used to talk when I did more consulting, uh, we'd talk about things like Glassdoor reviews or Indeed forums with clients. And, you know, the tendency is always, oh, that's just the negative people that fill those out. Well, maybe. But are there trends? You know, are there 10, if there are 30 comments or 28 of them about how your interview process sucks, um, <laughs> then maybe we ought to look at the interview process. Um, so I think it's the same for a speaker or anyone who is putting themselves out there in some way where feedback is going to be a part of that. The first thing to, to look at and look for, I think, are trends. Well, maybe let me back up. The first thing is to put your... Uh, your hat on that doesn't automatically look for the negative. I'm going to look at the feedback as a whole <laughs> and I'm not going to be like, there were nine great comments and one person hated it. I must suck. You know, <laughs> so <Right>. that's the <laughs> challenge. It's so easy. Well, that's though. a challenge I think for all of us because we are human. And I even, uh, I had a big conference that I spoke at a few years ago and there's so, it was a large event, a large amount of people in the room and I got a ton of, written single spaced feedback and you're reading through and it's like, she was great. She was wonderful. Best thing I ever heard. Jennifer sucked. You're like, Oh, I sucked. <laughs> and so I finally, I finally had to get a hold of myself and be like, I'm going to actually go down this list and I'm going to put a positive bite. If it's a positive, and I'm going to put a negative bite. If it's a negative, and then I'm going to chart out the percentage of positive to negative, which it was vastly more positive. And then to just go extra because I wanted to go above and beyond, I actually uploaded all the feedbacks to Word or the comments to Wordle.net to see what the, the largest words were that were used. And it was things like excellent. And, you know, I'm like, I got, you know, if I'm going to have to do something to make myself say in that, you know, look at the totality of the feedback, that would probably be the first thing. The second thing is, again, to look for trends whether they're positive. And unfortunately, I wish we could give classes to people who are filling out feedback on how to give effective feedback because a vast majority of the feedback's not helpful. Great, wonderful, uh, best talk I ever heard. That makes me feel good, but it doesn't help me to see what resonated with you or what I really need to maybe do more of or, um, you know, how I can improve. Same as, you know, if someone says it was awful, I didn't learn anything, you know, those those comments, you almost just kind of have to go, I'm going to put that aside because it doesn't, I, I think I heard Brene Brown say something like this before that you can't accept the positive if you can't accept the negative. So I can't go, well, everybody said, great, great, wonderful, wonderful. But this one that says it was terrible, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to say great makes me feel good. Then I got to also kind of mix in the, it was terrible. <laughs> But that's also, again, it's not helpful. But I think as I've spoken more and hopefully, well, I think I have gotten better. I know I've gotten better. Um, my feedback has also changed. In the early days, I think a lot of the feedback, again, you got a lot of the great wonderfuls, but 
it, there was rare to find a gem of a comment that you could say, well, this is helpful. And I can, you know, I can think of one from probably seven or eight years ago where someone said that um, I was monotone, that they'd heard me speak more than once and they loved my message, but it was hard to listen to me because I didn't have a lot of variation in my voice. And I'm like, that is feedback that I can pay attention to. I can ask others. I've actually seen it on a couple of other things. Um, and so I need to work on that. You know, the rise and fall, the, you know, uh, inflection, the making sure that you are talking to people like you would talk in a conversation where the voice goes up and down. That's helpful feedback. But as I've spoken longer uh, and gotten more and more feedback, I think this last, for example, SHRM conference, um, where I've spoken, I think, seven years now in a row. And in the beginning, it was the feedback has always been interesting from SHRM conferences to give because there's so many comments and and people aren't great at filling out forms. But this year, I was really pleased with my feedback um, because it was more helpful than ever. Uh, I was still very positive. I'm grateful for that. And my goal at SHRM conferences is always to hit, or the national conference at least, to hit a rating of uh, 4.8 or better because that puts you on the preferred speakers list for SHRM. Uh, and that's hard to get. It's hard to get when you're speaking to 2,000 HR people <laughs> who some of them are just not had their coffee yet, you know? <laughs> so, and, and, you know, some of you might be hitting, sitting there going, oh, wow, she's trying to hit a number. That's not cool. It's not cool to say, well, number one, I want to be excellent, which I would hope would deserve a 4.8. But number two, you have to balance, again, feedback. A lot of speakers or a lot of, you know, seasoned people will say, don't even play it, pay attention to those uh, smile sheets because they're, you know, they're not helpful. Mm -hmm. But I always kind of say back to them, but the conference organizers do. So it doesn't benefit me to say, I don't care on a five-point scale what my rating is because it doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to do my best. When the reality is at the end of the conference, the SHRM organizers are sitting there, or any organizers are sitting there, and they have two or 300 speakers. I don't know how many speakers were at the annual conference this year, hundreds. Um, and I'm pretty sure they probably start by ranking them by ratings. <laughs> You know, who's going to get invited back or whatever, because they have so many, they've got to do what's the data telling us. And so to me, the the ratings are important. And so when you choose that one, two, three, four, five, it does matter. So you should put some thought into it. Um, but thankfully this year, again, did I hit 4.8 for this, the second time? It's usually 4.735 or something like that. And you're like, oh, <laughs> but the feedback was helpful. Um not just from a positive perspective, and there were a lot of comments about what I did well, which was, again, really helpful. It's not just, oh, I'm glad that person liked it. It's like she, he or she liked that this was explained in, in this way. But there were also comments about one of my sessions, um, which I could totally agree with. And it's a, a tendency for me. I stuffed way too much into it. It was good. They liked it. But they're like, man, for an hour and 15 minutes, it was like full on a lot. And I knew that going into it because it was the first time I'd done it. Um, and I'm like, that's a lot. And then to get feedback back to say, that's a lot. I'm like, I, I was right. <laughs> you know? And and that time, the or that pres presentation, the next time I do it will probably include, you know, a half to maybe 60% of what I talked about. Uh, and I will give it more air instead of being like, here's 47 ways you can reinvent HR. Here's... Here's five, and let's talk about those. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> well, well, that's easy to do. I mean, as a speaker, you want to give value, you know, and you just want to pour it all in. Uh, but I, I really like you, just your, your approach to feedback there. I've never thought about putting feedback in, into kind of the, the word cloud just to see what mm-hmm. stands out. Um, that would actually be helpful, I think. And um, also just the idea of being able to not dismiss it, but not balance your whole soul on the feedback, but to be re- really be able to kind of mine through it and figure out what you can use and, and how to put it into use. Um, I, I do see a lot of people, you know, just dismiss feedback or, or live or die for feedback. And it seems like you've struck a really healthy balance in there and just what feedback can you use? I, How can I mean, you I think a long term, I'd love to eventually maybe have an assistant or somebody, not me, go through the feedback, uh, tell me what the trend line might look like, uh, pull out some constructive feedback, whether it's positive or negative or hopefully both, um, that then I can just use that rather than going down. You know, I literally this year, again, using SHRM as an example because it's such a large conference and it is a big event for me. Um, I got the email that my feedback uh, forms were sent to me, but I didn't open it for three days. So that tells you something. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know if I'm ready for this today <laughs> because it's uh, thankfully again, because it is my profession. I now pretty much know when I've done a great job. You know, if I walk off the stage, I know if I've put it out there, if I've done, you know, what I came here to do, if I've shared a message that I think is important, I've probably gotten some visual cues from the audience as to whether or not what I'm saying is resonating. And and we do have to take into account as speakers that sometimes it is the audience. You know, sometimes it's just a room full of people that like just not feeling it for whatever reason. (laughs) Maybe it's too early, too late. Uh, They have, you know some sort of Legionnaire's disease from the luncheon. I don't know, but um, you pretty much know when you've walked off stage, I did everything or almost everything I should have done, could have done. And I, I did what I get paid to do well today. And you also know, sometimes you walk off stage and you're like, I wasn't feeling great. I wasn't on my game. And so the feedback often is not a surprise one way or the other, but that's really what I'm shooting for. I am constantly striving to get better. I'm constantly wanting to level up to use a buzzword, my speaking skills, my messages, my stories. I want to really find a message that is impactful, impactful and land. And so the topics that I've spoken about over the year, the themes have been the same leadership, talent strategies, but the, the specific messages and how I really think I can help people to move the needle for themselves or their organizations is getting much clearer. And that feels wonderful. And I think part of, you know, your podcast is about imperfect action. That is part of the encouragement to anybody, whether you're starting something new or you're early in the journey or you're three quarters of the way through whatever that timing is for you, if you are constantly just striving to get better and that is the goal rather than I want to go from zero to a hundred and a hundred is the goal. So if I'm at 33, I feel crappy. Um, if, if every day or every speaking opportunity, I feel like I did something better or I put into action something that I've learned, then I'm constantly feeling good about my progress and I'm energized and I'm moving in the right direction. Um, and I think that's something for all of us to keep in mind. And I have to remind myself with other things as well. It's, it's about the little things that you do that are wins that get us there versus mm-hmm. I want to be a 
keynote speaker on main stages around the world making $50,000 a keynote speech, and I'm not there yet. So I am a failure. <laughs> you know, but, it, but if every year I'm like, right. I'm making more this year than I made last year, I'm getting on some bigger stages. I have more people telling me that my message is resonating and making a difference in their lives. Those are all things that what make me feel like I'm, I'm continuing to head in the right direction. Yeah. Well, well, Jennifer, you, you, you've done a lot around, you know, careers, career branding. Um, I mean, you currently have a podcast right now on helping people make a a bigger impact, you know, called impact makers. And the other night I, I was actually at a local college event for, it was actually for HR students and they were, you know, there's juniors and seniors kind of thinking about their career, getting started. And they were just kind of overwhelmed, you know, <laughs> like, like they had to have everything solved today. And they, it seemed like they felt bad that they didn't have it solved because they look around and they think all their classmates have it solved. Um, what advice would you give for someone who, who's kind of on, on that cusp of that new journey? Yeah, I think, again, to, to play off the, the title of your podcast, it really is to take that first step. In some cases in my career, uh, I've done that. You know, people sometimes will compliment me or say, you know, you, you're out there, you're doing new things. And uh, I know the secret is, is that some, sometimes, maybe 25% of the time, I've been like, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to step out and I'm going to do something different. And, you know, it works out. Of course, there are some things that don't work out too. But probably 75% of the time, I've either been pushed <laughs> <laughs> or I've had to do something because uh, there is no other option. And so I think what's always been a saving grace for me is um, I do move, I do focus on forward. So whatever is the next right step, I try to take that, you know, or whatever is a step towards where I'm going, I try to take that. Um and certainly I'm no different than everybody else. You know, the, the saying of don't compare, you know, my today to, or your today to my 10 years ago. So if somebody's looking at me and saying, I want to be a keynote speaker and I want to do what Jennifer does. And the fact that I spoke to, um, you know, a high school class of 10 students today means I'm a failure because I'm not speaking to 2000 people on a stage, you know, at a conference in Australia. Um, that's not where I was 10 years ago either. So to really think about what is the next right step to focus on forward, um, to choose goals and things you want to accomplish and then say, what can I do to get there to not beat yourself up too much? If, um, something fails or doesn't go the way you want, or if your progress is slower than you want, but if you really mean something to you and it's what you're meant to do to just to keep pursuing it, I think that's been helpful to me because, for whatever reason, either I don't give up or I don't see other options. So I just keep going. Um, but I do think in some cases, yeah, I've tried some things or, you know, going into business for myself was certainly a step of faith, uh, worked for a great company of people who cared about me, but people who also supported me in, in pursuing my dream. But before that, you know, I was in the corporate world and I knew I was unhappy and it was time for me to do something different, but I was comfortable financially. I had a good job. I had a nice office. Um, and I was not taking the leap, even though, you know, a a CEO that I had worked for prior to the the last one had told me, I'll support you go out and look for another job. I'll cover for you at work. You don't have to be here. And I was like, that would be wrong. No. (laughs) And I don't know why I said that because I was like, that would be wrong for me to actually go out and look for a job and let you support me in that. (laughs) 
But then I had to have somebody say, Jennifer, you know, this is not working out. You're not happy here. You need to go look for something else and kind of kick me out the door. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate that that I waited for that to happen. So, I, you know, I can't take credit for always being a risk taker and an action taker. But sometimes um, when forced to take action, I do. And sometimes I take action on my own. So the important thing is, is that you don't get bogged down in what can't be or what I can't do. If you want to do something, take one small step. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to go, go from where you're at. Well, I guess we always have to go from where we're at and sometimes we're helped and sometimes you just got to take that step. Like you say, well, what is your next step and how can people help you take oh, that I step? I love that question. Um, my next step is this, you know, when we're doing this, it's a uh, end of September or early October. I don't know when this will actually air, but this is like the busiest time of year for me. So I'm like having a blast out there. You know, it's October, September, October, November, April, May, June, early June is uh, massive conference season. Everybody wants to have an event. So I'm out there. So you could do for me if you, if we connect or meet up in the same place or have the opportunity to see each other at an event, I'd love to connect in person. Um, and then, you know, it kind of heads into that late November, early December, January timeframe where I've heard this from other speakers before every, you know, you come off the road, you're energized. You're like, I just did 10 events in seven weeks and this was amazing. And I love what I do and my job is the best. And then you're like, but I don't have anything on my calendar till February. <laughs> I am a failure. Life is, I can't, I'm not going to be able to be a success in this event, you know, or that's its career because, you know, and it's that feeling every summer and, and winter where you're kind of like, I, I'm not going to be able to make this work. So if you, if what you can do for me is if you plan a conference or event, do one in January or July. <laughs> <laughs> help your fellow speakers out because we seem to think we're all failures at that time of year, but it's also a good time to really start, you know, maybe working on a new talk for the next year. And I do try to always uh, create a new talk. I try to drop one off and uh, add something new every year. And, and, and I've gotten where I think when I first started speaking, I probably had 20 subjects that I talked on regularly, you know, one with, you know, social media or employer branding or this, I did it all, you know? Um, and then over the years, I've kind of gotten it down to now five to seven, you know, and probably four of those are keynotes and three of them are only breakouts. Um, and so next year, my goal would be that I get that down to a smaller number of just excellent keynotes, hopefully. Um, and that one of them will be new. So that's kind of what I'll be working on. But I'm also working on, you know, the podcast is something that I started in March this year, and I'm really enjoying that and have really just taken my own advice there. I just took step after a long time of not taking, of wanting to do it, but not taking any steps. And then finally, a friend of mine said, hire somebody to help you take the step because you've been talking about this so long. I'm sick of you talking about it and not doing anything. <laughs> so so I did that and I've started and I have resisted uh, pressure from friends and family and everybody to pay attention to things like stats and other things because um, right or wrong, my goal is to learn how to do it, to get in a groove with it, to put out good, meaningful stuff that does make an impact. You know, it's called Impact Makers with Jennifer McClure, but I want the messages that either from the people that I interview or the things that I share to be impactful in a way that um, it's something that matters. And then I will probably take some steps to see, well, how can I amplify the message and get it heard by more people than just kind of word of mouth in my circle? But 
those are things that I'm, I'm focused on. And then I think in the future, I'd like to be able to offer some things, whether it's online training courses or certainly a book eventually where people can connect with the things that I'm sharing um, in ways that don't require my personal presence. Although I love to travel and be somewhere everywhere. Um, I just, you know, hear more and more from people like I'd, I'd really like to have a book or a course or to learn from you about this. Um, and, or I haven't had an opportunity to be in an event where you're speaking in person yet. So how can I learn more from you? And so I think that will be the, you know, kind of level up aspect is how can I get some of the things that I share more accessible to people who don't have, or won't have the opportunity to see me speak in person. Fantastic. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up right there, Jennifer. It's been a pleasure having you on here. Well, I'd love to connect with any of your listeners at jennifermcclure.net, or you can find me on the social medias and LinkedIn as well, but I'm often on Twitter at Jennifer McClure. Hey, thank you for listening to Imperfect Action today. Let me know what your favorite takeaway was. What what are you going to take from the show and put into action in your life right now today to help you move forward? Hit me up in the comments or on Twitter. I'm dying to hear how is this show helping you to move forward? Now, one of the things I want to mention was that today's episode was brought to you by Nutrafit. Now, I tried Nutrafit's whey protein supplement after meeting the founder and hearing about his journey and his commitment to quality. I like to support up and coming businesses, so I gave it a try and I was really amazed at it. Now, I've had a lot of different protein drinks, but what made NutraFit different is one, that it mixes immediately, and also that the chocolate flavor actually tasted like chocolate. You know, so often they taste that like some kind of chemical engineering science project rather than just like food. And on top of that, NutraFit has no artificial sweeteners, colors, or preservatives. Plus, it includes probiotics, and I find it to be easy on the stomach. Now, the true taste test of it all is that my teenage daughter even likes it. She often has a shaker cup in the morning just on her way to school. Now, there are a lot of supplement brands on the market, but I do want to mention that NutraFit happens to be my personal favorite. And as a listener of Imperfect Action, you get 15% off of any order. When you're at checkout, after you've picked out your products, just use the code TAKEACTION. And that's written as one word, just take action. At checkout. Now, my personal favorite, and I'm not trying to influence you here, but is the double chocolate whey protein. And you can order right on Nutrafit's website. That's N-U-T-R-I-F-I-T-T. There's two T's in there. So Nutrafit.net. And let me know what you think. Just a little, just a little